So um, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 16 uh, for most of the night. So let me give some introductory thoughts about uh, this chapter and the book of Leviticus. First of all, Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement ritual, and it is the center of the book of Leviticus. If you pay attention to the structure of Leviticus, it all sort of climaxes with uh, the Day of Atonement ritual that God gives to Moses there. But the other thing I want to point out is that the book of Leviticus itself, many people argue, is the center of the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that there's this sort of, uh, again, a sort of a climax of everything that's going on in the five books of Moses when we get to the book of Leviticus. Uh, One way to look at this is that the book of Leviticus, the reason it is so important it is the book about drawing near to God. All right? it is, it, the whole book is about how the people of God can come close to God, can come into his presence. Um, so if you just think about this theme, Genesis begins with the people of God driven from the garden, driven out of God's presence. And if you go to the end of Deuteronomy, it is about the people of God now entering into the land that God has promised to them. So there's this sort of arc of the people of God driven from his presence, but God wants to bring them back to himself. So we won't go into detail on this, but I would just suggest you look at those parallels between the end, the beginning of Genesis and the end of Deuteronomy and Exodus as they journey to the mountain. And, uh, and numbers as they journey away from the mountain, moving towards the promised land. All of this has to do with the people of God coming into his presence and God drawing them into his presence. So this chapter, Leviticus chapter 16, is about uh, the Day of Atonement. Let me just read a bit. We won't be reading a ton of it. Hopefully you've had a chance to read it. But let me just read a handful of verses here at the beginning of Leviticus 16. And the Lord spoke unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he not die. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So immediately we're brought back to uh, moments before or chapters before when Nadab and Abihu brought their strange fire and they were consumed. But again, really, everything is about God's presence. If I could just go back to Exodus momentarily, remember God's presence was on the top of the mountain and Israel was not to come anywhere close to it. Moses goes up the mountain with the 70 elders and they go partway up the mountain. But Moses himself goes into the cloud and that's of course when Israel says well we don't know what's happened to him so uh, let's have a party so all of this is again about God's presence and you would hope well you would think that Israel when they're told that God wants to come and live in the midst of them that there would be some trepidation about that there would be some anxiety about this God who is is dangerous to interact with Uh, coming and living in their midst. And indeed, when he does inhabit the house, we have that moment. Um, So, as I said, this is the chapter about atonement. In the Old Testament, this is the chapter with the highest concentration of that word, atonement. Uh, And this is the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, So, 
I want to mention first our word atonement. Um, the word goes back to the 16th century when English writers were, or English translators were first trying to translate the Bible into English, and it's a word they coined to try to describe what the Hebrew word was saying. And they coined a word that it's wonderful if you look at it and take it apart, it tells you what it means, at one meant. Okay? It, it, was, it was designed to try to communicate what was going on underneath. There's been a separation in relationship between God and his people. There's been a division. And this work of atonement is the work of bringing to one what has been divided. All right? So that was the English word that those translators came up with. The Hebrew word, you see it in Kippur. The Hebrew word, however, means cover. All right? And we'll, I'm going to look into some of the details of how this word gets used. But the under, underneath it is this covering for the sake of restoration of relationship. So just consider where this word, let me mention some places in the Old Testament where this word for covering comes up. It comes up in uh, Genesis when God covers Adam and Eve. He covers their nakedness with skins uh, to hide their shame. Uh, so it has this sense of covering for protection, uh, of covering for honor. Uh, if you think of the great parable in the book of Ezekiel of Israel as a baby that's been thrown out and exposed and how God comes along and uh, sees Israel and it talks about God covering her, putting the, the corner of his garment over Israel and protecting her. Right Again, there's this covering of nakedness and there's this uh, notion of bringing into protection. Uh, so the image of covering comes up repeatedly. One of my favorites is in the book of Ruth. Um, if you remember in the book of Ruth, there's this, um, this moment when Ruth goes to Boaz on the threshing floor and her mother-in-law tells her to uncover his feet and he wakes up and finds this woman there and he says, would you put, would you cover me? All right. And actually this is an invitation to marriage, right? She says, would you marry me because you're a kinsman redeemer and at another point in the book, he says, blessed are you who have come to take refuge under the wings of God, right? Which probably is, in, is a reference to the, the wings over the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so this idea of covering, it touches on marriage. It touches on covering of nakedness. It touches on honor and protection. And so if we could just sort of summarize everything about it, it is saying that we come under the cover of God to shelter in his presence and to become his people. I should mention, too, that what the, what the King James calls the mercy seat, which is the, the flat cover over the top of the Ark of the Covenant, is actually called the kippurit, which it means literally the cover. All right? So all of, these, all of these words come together repeatedly uh, under this notion of covering and God doing something to cover the sins of his people so that they can come into his presence. So let's talk about the Day of Atonement ceremony itself. Uh, remember, I've uh, already mentioned the reference to um, the covering of skins in Genesis. Uh, I should also mention that in the golden calf incident, after Moses comes down, he sees what's happened. He sends the Levites to the camp. Then he says in chapter 32, listen, I'm going to go. And I'm going to see if I can make atonement for you with God. So he goes up Mount Sinai, and this is the great moment when he sees the backside of God and hears the name of God declared. 
that was his intercession to bring covering for Israel and their sins. So the Day of Atonement ceremony, you can think of it this way. It is an annual rebooting of the temple system. All right, sacrifices, there were sacrifices for many things. There were sacrifices for all kinds of sins. But the Day of Atonement ritual was meant to be an annual sacrifice that rebooted the temple, that cleansed the temple, that cleansed the altar, so that the people of God could worship. Because it was assumed that through the year there could be sins that the people weren't aware of. There could be all kinds of things going on. And this was this necessary annual ritual to cleanse the temple and make it an appropriate place for the people of God to be able to draw near to God again. So I want to draw attention to a couple details of the ritual because it's, it's I mean, you've got to be paying attention to catch all of the, the moments of the ritual. So first of all, I draw attention to this. God commands, um, God commands Aaron, the high priest, to do this. Verse 3, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. And he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and the linen miter shall be attired. So he's to go and engage in the the Day of Atonement ritual with linen garments. Now, I don't know if you remember, but the normal attire for the high priest was these garments of splendor. There were these garments that had precious stones on them and gold and uh, and, and um and weaving. It was a beautiful garment, and it was meant to be glorious. But on the Day of Atonement, he puts on simple, humble linen garments. All right? It's a very key detail. All right? He has to, at the beginning of the ritual, wash and put these garments on before he begins everything. And then there's a series of offerings. He offers a bull as a sin offering for himself. Because remember, in the New Testament, it tells us every priest has to first deal with his own sins. So he offers the bull for himself. But then two goats are selected. All right, These two goats are brought. One goat is for a sin offering. Its blood is meant to cleanse the altar, the, the covering over the Ark of the Covenant. It's meant to cleanse the temple. And the other goat is for, as it says, uh, to be sent to Azazel. We'll get to the details of what that means in a minute. So he offers the bull for purification of his sins. He sprinkles the blood in the Holy of Holies. He sprinkles it on the altar. Um, Then the goats are taken and lots are drawn. And for one, it's meant to be a sin offering. So uh, they, they offer that up as well as the bull. Everybody with me? We've got the bull, and we've got the one goat that is meant to be slaughtered, and its blood is sprinkled. The other goat, which is called the scapegoat, which just means the escape goat, all right? This is what the English word means. The high priest is to lay his hands on the goat, confess the sins of the people of God over the goat, and then a man is meant to take the goat out into the wilderness. Now, I want you to think about this. Most of what goes on in the Holy of Holies, people don't see, right? It goes on inside there. But the, the scapegoat, the priest lays his hand on them, and then the people see that goat being carried away, never to come back. All right. There's a lot of theories as to exactly what's supposed to happen with the goat. The one that convinces me the most is it is to be taken into the wilderness and thrown over a high precipice and killed. But the point is that the sins of the people of God are carried away from the camp. They're carried outside of the camp, never to return. 
all right? And then that man comes back and he washes and then he's a part of the rituals. So then there is, he changes his garments. The priest, the high priest then changes his garments back into the glorious garments. And then there is what the King James translates a burnt offering. And I want to stop here for a minute. Again, you have to study Leviticus to get a a handle on the different sacrifices and the importance of the different sacrifices. But I want to draw attention to the burnt offering or the whole burnt offering because the Hebrew word means ascension, right? This is an ascension offering. And I think a lot of times when we think about the sacrificial system, we think about the blood being for forgiveness. And it is indeed that. But that is never the end of the direction of sacrificial worship. All right? it's not, it's, forgiveness is not the end. The end is coming into God's presence. And this animal that's a whole burnt offering, the whole animal is burned. It is offered up on the altar. Its, for, its smoke goes up. And the idea is that it ascends into the presence of God. Does that make sense? All right, the, the key to the sacrificial system is you can't come into God's presence or you'll die. So the animal bears your sins. The animal dies. And then the animal as a whole burnt offering ascends into God's presence in your stead. All right? This is the direction of all of the sacrificial worship. And notice he does this at the end of the whole sequence with all the different animals. He offers that up. Uh, and this completes the um, the Day of Atonement ritual. It also says towards the end of the Day of Atonement that it is to be a Sabbath. It is to be a solemn day. Uh, Israel is to afflict themselves, it says. And actually, uh, so far as we know, this is the only, we think that affliction was fasting, and this is the only fast in the annual cycle. Everything else is a feast. All right. So on this day, the people of God fast. They do no work, uh, and the high priest performs this annual ritual. So let me just, to review, because I want to go to the New Testament now, just to review, let me just mention these sort of a simplified review of everything that goes on in this ritual. First, there are various sacrifices to purify the temple, to be a sin offering for the priest and to be a sin offering for the people. Second, the scapegoat carries the sins of the people of God away from the temple outside of the camp, and the, that goat never comes back. Those sins never come back. And then finally, the whole burnt offering or the ascension offering is this ascending into God's presence. All right, That is the goal of, the, of all of the sacrifices is coming into God's presence finally. Does that make sense? All right, so thus the, the Day of Atonement ritual. I want to turn now to the New Testament. So go to John. We could actually do this with a lot of the, any of the Gospels, really, but I think John does it most powerfully. Um, the Day of Atonement ritual, all of the sacrifices, but the Day of Atonement ritual um, enacts ahead of time the whole course of Jesus' life. All right? Uh, So, for example, the stripping off of the garments of of glory and putting on simple linen garments speaks of Jesus' incarnation, his putting aside of his glory, his putting aside of, uh, of the rights that he has as the Son of God, the recognition that he has as the Son of God. He puts on our simple human flesh, uh, so that he can engage in this work of atonement. 
So all of the Gospels have this Day of Atonement kind of shape. But let's look in John chapter 20. And I want to read a little bit more extended section of John chapter 20 to uh, elaborate on this. Verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taketh away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have lain him. Peter therefore went forth, that the other, uh, that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they both ran together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, and he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he was not in. Note the linen clothes. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about the head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped together in a place by itself. So he's seen them uh, sort of ceremonially taken off and set aside. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their home. So I've always been, I've always thought this is interesting, and I think this is sort of like life. The men find out what's going on, and then they leave. The women stay, or this, this woman stays, okay? She's not done. She knows there's something more going on. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, one uh, white, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So she sees two angels sitting on this slab of stone. That should remind you of the Ark of the Covenant. That should remind you of the mercy seat. The mercy seat was pointing forward to this work of atonement that Jesus was going to do. And the angel said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener. Let me stop there. This whole scene is redolent of the temple because it's a garden and the temple is a garden. And the temple or the tabernacle was redolent of Eden because Eden was a garden where the people of God meet with God. Right, and Adam was the first gardener. All right, so there's all kinds of echoes here um, to, to to Genesis and to Leviticus. She she thinks he's the gardener. She says, "Sir, if thou have borne him, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away." Jesus saith unto her, "Mary." She turned herself and saith unto him, "Rabboni," which is to say, "Master." Jesus saith unto her, "Touch me not." For I am not yet ascended to the Father. You catch that? He has put on the garments of flesh. He has been sacrificed. He has, his blood has been shed. He is now risen from the dead and taken up his glorious clothes. And he is getting ready to be the ascension offering that all those ascension offerings were pointing to. Saying, I'm not yet done with my priestly work. The day of atonement ritual is not finished. All right, I'm getting ready to go before the Father, and he says this, and this is so wonderful, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, 
I ascend unto my Father, and this is the glorious moment, and your Father. All, right, all the sacrifices were in our stead. The animal dies in our stead. The animal is consumed in the fire and goes before God's presence in our stead. Now Jesus says, I'm going to my Father, and he is now your Father. Tell my disciples that my Father is their Father. I am going to complete my priestly work. And to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So Jesus then goes and ascends to the Father and completes his high priestly work. He completes every sacrifice of the the Levitical system, but he completes the Day of Atonement ritual. And it was pointing to what he did on that day. And he ascended to the Father and then poured out the Holy Spirit. And so the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, it's done when our adoption is completed, when the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and we can ascend into God's presence. And I want you to think about all the places in the New Testament that speak about our presence now with the Father. Colossians 3. All right? You are dead, and you're dead because you've been through the sacrifice. And your life is hid with God at the Father's right hand. All right. Repeatedly, the scripture speaks of our going with, our being united to Jesus in our baptism so that we can ascend to the Father and we are in his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just read some of these um, admonitions in the book of Hebrews that have to do with what our response should be. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus finished this, this ceremony, we can boldly go before God and receive mercy and get help to do what he wants us to do. Amen? Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Not annually, but he is before the Father always praying on our behalf. Hebrews chapter chapter 10, this is a little bit longer. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the admonition now is to draw near, is to be bold, is the kingdom of God is ours. The kingdom of God is open. And all the things that pertain to the kingdom of God, sonship, calling God our Father, bold access belong to us. And we are called to follow Jesus in that sacrifice. Amen? At the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 12, well, not at the end, but in chapter 12, Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We come and worship. We offer our bodies to him. We offer our whole self to him. And then... He sends us out to carry forth his blessing, to carry forth his will, to build up his house. Amen? This is the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement ritual, and it's glorious. Amen? Amen. Tom. Tom. Matt. 
Amen. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would open the eyes of our heart. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we would come to see what has come to pass in your Son. Father, and we need imagination and we need the help of your Spirit to grasp the fullness of the access that we have been given, to grasp the fullness of the authority you have given us to come boldly before your throne, call you Father, and ask for help with whatever we need help for in doing your will. Father, I want to ask that you would just give us your Holy Spirit to help us grasp the things that have been given to us. Father, the keys of the kingdom which you have given to us. Father, that we would be able to grasp the fullness of the gifts that you have bestowed upon us, Father. Lord, we have not begun to do so. We can't imagine the things that you intend for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. But Father, I pray that you would capture us. You would fire our imaginations. You would fire our hearts, Father. God, that you would give life and mercy and grace to all that you have called us to do as we live as your children who can come boldly before you. Father, we thank you for that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.